the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to be here with us this evening, and we trust that you are here. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. Well, we gather together tonight to celebrate once again the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Or as preachers tend to think of it, one of the sermons you really have to get right. And we preachers think long and hard about our Christmas Eve sermon. The pressure is on. Uh, it, it, it might sound funny to you, but the first thing I thought of when I pictured standing up here in front of you this evening was my Easter sermon from this year. Now that was a unique, memorable sermon delivered as it was in my living room to a congregation that consisted of my wife and children, along with about three other people and an iPhone on a tripod. Now we were neck deep in the first wave of COVID then and weren't allowed to meet together at all. Now, of course, the inability to meet hasn't changed for everyone. Some members of our congregation are still unable to worship with us in person. We still have the phone on the tripod. So even though we are gathered together in real life, IRL, as the kids say, tonight, I was thinking this week about the similarities between Christmas and Easter. These, of course, are our two big celebrations of the year, the two services that people are likely to attend, even if they don't go to church on any other day. And as such, ministers are inspired to pull out all the stops and try to prepare the best sermons of the year on these two days. Now, we preachers don't always get there. We don't always meet the mark. But there's some pressure to try. Of course, the title of my Easter sermon this year, if you'll recall, was Easter, colon, Just Another Sermon. Do you see what I did there? I went the other way. And it wasn't just an attempt to alleviate the pressure of having to preach one of the best two sermons of the year. It's actually true. Because on Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But that's what we do every single Sunday. Literally. In fact, that's why we have church on Sunday. We do it to celebrate the resurrection in the morning on the first day of the week. So an Easter sermon, a sermon announcing the good news of Jesus's empty tomb, is just another entry into the weekly catalog of sermons announcing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is risen. In other words, that's what we do here. But guess what else we do here? We preach the incarnation. We do that every week too. We preach his coming into the world to be our savior every single week. 
So this Christmas Eve, you're going to get, well, just another sermon. The pressure to preach one of the best sermons of the year isn't the only connection, of course, between Christmas and Easter. Another is the specific kind of announcement that they make to the world. And this is clearly illustrated by the angels' words to the first witnesses. Listen as Matthew tells the story of that first Easter morning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Now, Luke chapter 2, in that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. The announcement of both Easter and Christmas, the first words proclaimed to the first witnesses are exactly the same. Do not be afraid. This is my Christmas message to you this year and our message to you every single week. The common announcement that makes an Easter sermon and a Christmas sermon just another sermon. Do not be afraid. This announcement, this reassurance is one way to express the good news about Jesus Christ who came to earth to live, to die, and to be raised again for you. On account of him, you do not need to be afraid. This is our relentless proclamation. Christmas, Easter, every Sunday in between. And yet, and yet so many of us live in fear. That's why we don't just have church on Christmas and Easter, right? We need that reminder at least weekly, if not more often than that. We need to be reminded that on account of Jesus Christ and his accomplishment for us, we do not need to be afraid. One of the truly formative experiences of my life happened while I was still a seminary student, I was doing a summer of chaplaincy work at a VA hospital in Pittsburgh. 
part of my job there was to call on random patients. And on this particular day, I walked into the room of a complete stranger. And when I asked him how he was doing, he told me point blank that he was dying. And then he said something that has been burned into my brain ever since. I think I've lived a good life. I'm just not sure it was good enough. That man was afraid. I think I've lived a good life. I'm just not sure it was good enough. That is fear. And we're often afraid too. Not all of us are afraid in as critical a way as that man in that hospital room. Our fears take other forms and maybe aren't so close to the surface. We're afraid of being passed over at work, of not being a good enough provider for our family. We're afraid of the potential dissatisfaction of our spouse or significant other, afraid that they might leave. We're afraid of being exposed as a fraud, sure that in time our friends and the world at large will realize that we deserve much less than we have. But the fear underneath all those fears is the same fear that that dying man in the hospital had. The fear that in a grand overarching sense, we're not good enough. And of course, worst of all, this overarching fear is due to an overarching truth. There is a God and you are not him. And he is holy and almighty. For this reason, gathered up into all those other reasons, we are rightly afraid. Fear is actually the appropriate response to a holy and almighty God. Because us, you and me, we're not good enough. Our fears are well-founded. We are like the woman at the tomb and the shepherds in the field confronted with a holy God and afraid. But it is into this fear, this exact fear, that Jesus comes. Literally, he comes. He came here from heaven to earth. He arrives here to take our fears away. As Paul wrote to Titus, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Our fear is sourced. It comes from the consideration of what Paul calls here our works of righteousness. 
We examine ourselves, and if we're honest, we must admit that our works of righteousness do not even begin to tip the scales. There just aren't enough of them. And what there is, is broken and twisted. We aren't the employees or the spouses or the people that we ought to be. We have not lived up to God's holy calling on our lives. We are not properly characterized by works of righteousness at all, in fact. We, you and I, are sinners. If anything, we're characterized by our works of selfishness. That's who we really are. So if we are relying on our good enough when we're lying in our final hospital beds, we'll be afraid too. St. Paul says as much in his letter to the Ephesians when he says that before Jesus, we were dead in trespasses and sins. On our own, We are all that man in the VA hospital, worried, afraid that we haven't been good enough. And we're right. But there is good news. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. As Paul tells those Ephesians, though we were dead, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive. Together with Christ. You hear it? This announcement. We who were dead. We who haven't been good enough. Have because Jesus Christ came here. Have been made alive. Together. With him. The good news. Is that God does not wait for us to climb a mountain of spiritual accomplishment to get to him. He crosses the chasm the other way to get to us. That is what Christmas, the incarnation, is all about. He came here. Jesus came here. It was his accomplishment. He, who was perfect, decided in an act of ultimate grace and mercy to set that perfection aside. He decided to come to earth to live in one of these bodies and to do it perfectly. And then he decided to submit himself to the humiliation of a criminal's death on a cross, bearing the sins of the world, bearing your sins and mine. Yours, mine, and the sins of every other person who would call out to him, Jesus, I'm not good enough. Please be good enough for me. And then he gave his goodness, 
His perfect accomplishment, His holiness, His righteousness to you and to every sinner who would have it. And like that, those of us who were dead are made alive in Him. Christmas and Easter are intimately connected. The rescue mission that was begun on this night was brought to completion in a stone tomb on a Sunday morning. The life of Jesus overcame death. He lived, he died, he rose again for you. Tonight, I get to take the place of an angel. We're not in a field outside Bethlehem. And we're not in a garden near Jerusalem. We're in a school on Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. But the message is the same. Do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah the Lord. Tonight, Jesus is born for you. Merry Christmas and amen.